0: Let's not forget at one point sci-fi movies weren't really respected that much by studios. And then you have something like Star Wars come and become a huge breakout hit. But now I think it's that established part of the mainstream, superhero movies, the same thing. Video games, we're seeing that also make up a lot of ground. Is it fair to say that these are aspects of what was once known as geek culture really taking on a bigger role in the cinema scene?
1: This is the Box Office Podcast. I am Rebecca Polly, the Deputy Editor of Box Office Pro, the only publication in North America completely dedicated to the movie theater industry. Joined today by Box Office Pro's Editorial Director, uh, Daniel Luria. Uh, Daniel, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing fine. I actually got to visit my family for the first time during the pandemic. I'm still here, actually, as we record this. What? So, yeah, I know. Things, things feel good. It was a year and a half without seeing them, so it's... Uh, a good positive milestone, I think one of several positive milestones we will be discussing in today's episode.
1: I like a good positive milestone. As you know, I mean, it, it is our, I think both of our favorite time of the year. It, it rolls around every every few months. That would be earnings call season when a variety of exhibitors and then also companies like National Cinemedia, like IMAX, will have investor calls where they kind of go over the state of their business. And uh, there's a lot of to my ears, indecipherable financial jargon, a lot of acronyms that I have no clue what they mean. But in between all that sort of stuff, you know, we can really glean some insights as to the state of the industry as it stands right now and the direction in which we're going. So, Daniel, I know we've had uh, we've had earnings calls over the last week or so with Cinemark, Cineplex, AMC, Marcus, and Canepolis. What have we learned from those meetings?
0: So I think the best place to start here is probably with AMC Theaters, of course, the number one exhibition circuit in the United States, in Europe, around the world. They have that pole position in speaking about where the industry is in macro terms. An interesting insight that we got from that call was the circuit actually giving us numbers or benchmarks on the box office here in North America. To track that recovery, both in 2021 and in 2022. Now, we know it's going to be a recovery year in 2021, and we're still not sure what that 2022 box office is going to look like. I don't think anybody, including our own chief analyst, Sean Robbins, is really expecting the industry to get back to that 11 billion benchmark that we were consistently hitting before the pandemic hit. AMC theaters, however, did provide two numbers for 2021 AMC is looking or at least aiming at the five billion dollar mark in North America as a sort of success figure. Right. If we cross that five billion mark, AMC is looking at that like a sign of progress In my opinion, I think uh, AMC's view is a bit conservative, but I think they should be. They are a a publicly traded company. Yeah,
1: better to earn more than to earn less.
0: (laughs) Of course, that's, that's how you want to tackle this. But that low figure that AMC is providing for 2022, I think is sensible. They're looking at an $8 billion benchmark that they do expect the industry in North America, domestic box office, to cross the $8 billion mark. How high it goes, I think that's going to be a big question that we'll be looking at in the months to come.
1: Yeah, In terms of those upcoming films that everyone is, is looking forward to so much, I know, Daniel, one in particular really caught our eye over the last week, that being Netflix's Army of the Dead, directed by uh, Zack Snyder. Trailer has a zombie tiger in it. I can't say no to a zombie tiger, but perhaps more relevant to this particular podcast, there's been some interesting distribution news related to Cinemark on that one.
0: Absolutely. And I think this is another one of those positive benchmarks we're seeing as the market recalibrates coming out of the pandemic. It's a slow exit from the pandemic, but we're already seeing the building blocks of what this industry may look like, at least domestically once the market does begin to recover so as you mentioned rebecca this uh netflix title army of the dead it's going to be coming out this week with a one week exclusive to cinemas theatrical run before it premieres on netflix now this title it's a netflix movie it's a zombie movie we can call it a spiritual sequel if not a uh continuity sequel to Zack snyder's breakout hit from the early 2000s, his remake of uh, Dawn of the Dead, which by the way- Excellent film,
1: excellent film. Absolutely.
0: Cinemark is the largest circuit to be carrying this title theatrically for that week-long exclusivity. But seven of the top 10 circuits in the United States have also booked this film for that week-long exclusive run in select locations. So you have circuits like Marcus, like Harkins, B&B Theaters, Malco, CMX Cinemas, even Alamo Draft House. Now, in New York, because I know you're there in New York City right now, Rebecca, we've got circuits like Cinepolis USA. I mentioned Alamo. IPIC has also been booking Netflix titles. You'll be able to see this film on the big screen, I think, in most cities in the United States, thanks to this deal that Netflix has already struck with the majority of top circuits in the domestic market. To get it on the big screen. It's, it's a big benchmark. I know a lot of us were expecting this to probably happen with a title like Roma a couple of years ago. Then the conversation turned, well, you know, it didn't work out with Roma, but that's a, you know, it's a black and white art house movie in Spanish, maybe a Martin Scorsese movie that goes through the award season. Maybe that will be the big, uh, breaking
1: zombie tiger movie.
0: That's right, Rebecca, Zombie Tiger is the one that gets uh, these Netflix titles back to the big screen. Honestly, it's not very surprising for an art house play. There's always a, let's say, a a limited box office potential in the big picture for those movies to get out there. I'm not saying they're not important, but when it comes to getting these Netflix titles from the arthouse to the multiplex, it's not a surprise that a movie like this one was able to be the one to break through. I think we'll be very fascinated to, to learn if Netflix reports any theatrical box office data. As we know, we haven't been able to measure the theatrical success of these titles because the company does not share that information uh, with the press.
1: I would be shocked but pleasantly surprised if they did. Uh, if anyone from from Netflix is listening, please start giving out your box office numbers. That would be great.
0: Yeah, Rebecca, I agree. That data is going to be very important for us just to track how these movies are performing. I, to a certain extent, can understand streaming data to be limited. But, you know, we've seen over the past couple of years, Netflix work closer and closer with movie theaters. I think that little bit of a detail on sharing the box office visibility, I think that would be another positive step in the right directions. But hey, We're headed in in a positive place. It's not only Cinemark. As I said, seven of the top 10 circuits here in the U.S. signing up for a Netflix-wide release. Positive signs. And another positive sign, uh, Rebecca, when it comes to Cinemark and doing business with these big distributors is news that Cinemark has signed agreements With a couple of studios, as we know, there were a couple of question marks. There was that situation with Disney's Raya and The Last Dragon, where Cinemark was one of the top circuits to not book that title in its screens. That is not going to be an issue moving forward. Rebecca, can you give us an update on what we know and don't know about these deals?
1: We don't know more than we do know. What we do know is that Cinemark has signed agreements with Universal, Warner Brothers, Disney, Paramount, and Sony to distribute titles from those studios. Of course, they'd already signed a deal with Universal, as has Cineplex, as has AMC. We have zero insider information into the terms of these deals, except that they're different from studio to studio. It's not a not a one size fits all kind of thing. You know, the press release announcing this really didn't even mention Windows, but of course that is the subtext there—that we are moving towards a a shortened theatrical window, sort of coalescing around the thirty to forty-five day period. You know, Paramount said they're doing that for upcoming titles in their investor conference a few months ago, we know that's the direction uh, Warner Brothers is going into as well. Disney's been playing around with day and date. Obviously, uh, you know, Warner Brothers doing day and date this year, but then they signed an agreement with Cineworld to go for a shortened window starting in 2022. So we really don't have any concrete information here as to, you know, which titles will have this amount of window? What maybe opening weekend box office threshold? Do they need to? We don't know any of that stuff, but we know not only have those conversations been happening, which they've been happening for for months and months and probably years at this point, but we are starting to see deals being inked. So uh, that's something, you know, we're, we're kind of moving in that direction of the 30 to 45 day window.
0: And those agreements are with Universal, Warner Brothers, Disney, Paramount and Sony. So we know that Cinemark has now reached terms with these studios and will be welcoming these titles in their cinemas moving forward. I know it was one of the big question marks we had uh, around the release of something like Cruella on on May 28th and especially something like Black Widow uh, in July. What footprint was going to be with Disney titles since we didn't have that coming to terms? Earlier in the year, we know that's settled. We know a major circuit like Cinemark is ready to move forward with these players. Uh, so, yeah, positive news all around. And I think related to that positive news is uh, some insights that AMC, Cinemark, and Marcus all gave, citing the progress of vaccines as the strongest current factor, followed by film availability from studios, of course, for the recovery of cinemas. Rebecca, Adam Aaron, in his call with AMC Investors, called the CEOs of Pfizer and Moderna the most important executives directing the immediate recovery for cinemas worldwide. I have to agree with it. Uh, We also had Greg Marcus over at Marcus Theatres at the Marcus Corporation uh, sharing a poll from uh, NRG, citing that 64 percent of respondents right now are in North America are saying that they are very or somewhat comfortable going to the movies today. And that figure actually grows to 86% of people interviewed once vaccinated. I think important important figures and we have to stress this this is a situation that is changing from week to week in terms of comfort level of people not only going back to the cinema, but doing a lot of things in their daily lives.
1: Just anecdotally speaking, uh, you know, speaking from my own experience, I've been to cinemas already at this point, but I'm seeing from friends and family more of a willingness to, to go back to cinemas. And, of course, there are many people who have already been back to cinemas, as, as we're seeing uh, by our box office receipts that we're getting in. Daniel, one key uh, wide release came out this past weekend, Wrath of Man with, with Jason Statham the latest in the long line of, you know, kind of Bruce Willis, Liam Neeson actioners that have uh, somewhat kept cinemas going during the pandemic. How did this one do?
0: In this uh, Charles Bronson style cinema intermission that we've had, uh, this is actually the best dad movie. Can we call them a dad movie? Is that, that too dismissive? I like dad movies. That I like one dad about movies. That the cars was good. What was yeah. it? The the was Matt Damon in it? I forget who was in that dad movie with people racing cars. They're wonderful movie.
1: Ford v Ferrari. I like Rush that with one. Chris Hemsworth and the Ron Howard movie.
0: Another great dad movie. No, but this is this is one of, of these uh, you know older male leaning movies that have come out, and they're actually interestingly enough the best movies to provide uh, a snapshot of where we are in the recovery because we have data points for this type of film so far throughout the pandemic so wrath of man this movie distributed by united artists directed by guy ritchie starting jason statham it opened to 8.1 million now that's not mortal Kombat numbers for an r-rated title but that is still above the 6.8 million that universals nobody did back in late march that's probably the closest comp we have so yes mortal Kombat, a bigger ip more recognizability on that brand, that did much better. But Wrath of Man, it's not a new benchmark for this type of movie during the pandemic, it is a sign of progress. And just as you mentioned, Rebecca, that anecdotally you've been back to the movies, you're hearing friends going back to the movies, we have to look at this in the big picture of a recovery. Not only going to the cinemas, because of course we're focused towards that, but most moviegoers in this country Equate movie going right now with going to a restaurant, whether indoor or outdoor, right? Little by little, we're seeing those signs of progress all over the country. I can tell you on on a personal level, uh, for the first time during the pandemic, I tuned into an event this weekend that seemed like an event, it it wasn't like the Oscars or anything like that, that was a little bit muted. Watching 73,000 people at an indoor arena in Arlington, watching uh, the the boxing match between uh, Canelo Alvarez and and Billy Joe Saunders, uh, a, a big boxing fight with a packed stadium in the United States, It felt like an event. And of course, usually if you told me 73,000 people indoors in a stadium, I'd be alarmed before this, but it was the first time I could watch something like that and actually be excited and not think, oh my God, global pandemic as a first reaction. Little by little, these events are going to add up and movie going is part of that sign of progress.
1: I was watching a Mets game and there's a Mets guy at every game. He just walks around the stadium with a cowbell, just cowbell in it. And, you know, he fades in and out because he walks around, but it's like, oh, there's cowbell man. And they cut away to him a few times. And I'm like, oh, cowbell man made it. (laughs) Cowbell man is back. He survived COVID. But that's
0: important, I think, to see these things, see these events happen and start enjoying them and start thinking of wanting to be there instead of being worried about going out. And I think psychologically, that's a big part of this recovery effort right now in terms of risk level, in terms of how people are comfortable, how they're not. That's a personal conversation. But I think little by little, these things are happening. These events are occurring and we are gauging, you know, our own comfort level and reactions to them. I I do feel quite positive for the summer. Of course, we've said that before and we'll, we'll see where it happens.
1: Speaking of that comfort level now, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who are comfortable going to the movies or would be if the content were there. And there's really not much content there at this point. But where that leaves us is we have an opportunity for some more niche programming to get in there. Certainly that's the case of of what we saw with Demon Slayer, which is now exiting its third week. Daniel, what are we looking at in terms of the legs on that film?
0: You know, Sean Robbins, our chief analyst, absolutely got it correct on this one. He said that we should expect a big drop, but at the same time, we've been seeing it keep those top positions in the box office because as you say, Rebecca, there's really not that many movies coming in and taking its place. So, yes, we saw Demon Slayer go from, you know, neck and neck, second place finish in its opening weekend with Mortal Kombat, making over 20 million dollars in its debut. It actually surpassed Mortal Kombat in its second weekend, despite dropping more than 70 percent in its sophomore frame weekend three it's still in second place. It made $3 so it is, you know, it is giving up a lot of ground in the box office, opening below Wrath of Man, but second place in the box office for a title like this, I think it speaks very well to A, the power of theatrical exclusivity, even today, and B, the success of Funimation's distribution and marketing campaign, For this title. Now, I know, Rebecca, you were able to speak with Funimation's senior vice president of global commerce, uh, Mitchell Berger, and he was able to share some insights on that film's success in North America.
1: Absolutely. Uh, You can read that entire piece on on boxofficepro.com, but he really had some insights about anime in general. I really just wanted to, to share some of those insights here on the podcast as well. Now, uh, Funimation has been releasing anime films into theaters in North America since 2015. In 2020, they released two films theatrically, one right before the pandemic hit, and then in the UK, before that country's second shutdown, a re-release of the anime classic Akira. Demon Slayer, of course, was a bright spot in 2020. It broke Japan's record for the highest-grossing title of all time. So when the news came out that Funimation is releasing this title in North America, um, there was certainly a lot of anticipation about what that film would do. With a property that has a fervent fan base, but is, as you know, Daniel, nonetheless, something of a niche property, you know, I really asked Mitchell about how Funimation approached marketing in the run-up to Demon Slayer's domestic debut.
2: One is, I think we always start everything with our fans in mind. Mm-hmm. Um So mm-hmm. we do know, I mean, the, the beautiful thing about anime is it is a rich and growing community. Um It's bigger now than it's ever been. It's more mainstream now than it's ever been. It's not, it is not mainstream, but is much more mainstream than it has ever been before. Mm-hmm. So... We have this wonderful, uh, uh, I guess bounty is the right word of this rich, deep fan base that we can activate and talk to to start with. So we've got a great foundation and we always start with them in mind because that is really what builds and supports our business. Um, with this one, I think we were very fortunate in that we did have the series has been out for a while for, for a year or so. Um, so we have a an incredibly passionate fan base to start with. So we, What's great is people are always coming into anime. Their friends are getting them into it. They are discovering things. So what this movie kind of afforded us is a way to open it and talk to those fans who knew the show, but also talk to new fans. You know, we released um, a three kind of recap movies on our streaming service just before this that took the entire series and condensed mm-hmm. it down into about six hours if you didn't have a you know full 12 or 13 hours to invest as a way to let new fans experience it and, and get ready for the film. So, you know, we, we talk to those existing fans, we give people uh, an uh, opening there. And now as the movie's opening, as it continues to play, we're gonna continue to talk to new people and try to bring new people in. Because, you know, at its core, anime is about community and about belonging and about letting people belong. Mm-hmm. And sharing your passion with a film for someone and bringing them in and getting them to come experience something new. It's part of what makes anime so special so we're leaning into that in a big way
0: and that was funimation svp of global commerce mitchell Berger talking about their experience releasing demon slayer uh here in the domestic market uh it's been interesting rebecca because we we spoke a little bit about this in some of our previous episodes both with our colleagues sean robbins and russ fisher on the role that anime has had In the latest generations of really breaking into the mainstream little by little and one of those insights that you brought up is the role of streaming services in making a lot of this content accessible growing up i think when when we were growing up at least it really was limited to whatever broke through on network television it wasn't much and a little bit more in the wee hours of the night on basic cable but as you know, Rebecca, streaming has really helped anime and all these anime IPs get a lot more fans in the United States.
2: Streaming in many ways is people's first exposure to a franchise, to a piece of content. And you can build on that. It's not none of these are individual silos um, what we at Fundamation are really focused on is we believe in that theatrical experience and the theatrical window. Mm-hmm. Um, we absolutely think it is a vital part of our fans' lifestyle because anime is so much about community. And when you look at, I think, the success of Demon Slayer and even the success of some things that we did during the pandemic, like Akira that we did uh, back in uh, the end of last year, fans like to come together they like to congregate in person and see each other and cosplay and and just be part of that there's an energy if you've never been to an anime uh, film a showing mm-hmm. there's an energy there that you that you don't get sometimes when I mean, you can go to a Tuesday afternoon showing of an anime film and it'll be electric mm-hmm. that's amazing and we really feed into that and When we look at the theatrical experience, we know that it has a very vital role to play in the entire life cycle of a title, which is why we're really proud of the fact and happy that we were able to give Demon Slayer a clean theatrical window. You know, it's not available for streaming and for digital right now Mm -hmm. because we think that that theatrical experience has a place and then there's a place for streaming and then there's a place for digital ownership and then a place for home video. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all part of, of a life cycle for a title and a lifestyle for our fans and we love to support that.
1: Yeah, I've actually been to some anime screenings connected to comic conventions. And I'm not hugely a part of that scene, but the a bit of it that I have been exposed to, like it is the word that he used, electric, like that's what it is. You know, researching and kind of looking on social media in preparation to talk about this film with Mitchell. I would see people posting on Twitter the outfits they plan to wear just to the movie screening. It was really heartening and it really made me feel spectacular. You know, this anime is not something that anytime soon I think in the United States is is going to reach the heights of, you know, a traditional release, but I think it's, it's, it's foolish to ignore the distinct theatrical potential that this genre has, whether you're looking at, uh, you know, a limited event cinema type release or with a film like Demon Slayer, given its unique circumstances, maybe a release that's that's a bit more traditional. And as I spoke about with Mitchell, you know, this this isn't something that's limited to the United States. They released it in other countries uh, where it also had great success.
2: The, the other great thing is it, it is a global phenomenon. I mean, we, we all know what it did in Japan. It's the highest grossing film ever in Japan. Um, but, you know, that was back in October. And you know, October to April is a very long time in in a theatrical world for it to be out there. But what we've seen, so we released the film in Australia back in February. We've released it here. It's going to be coming out in Europe and the UK and some other territories. Um, What's been really gratifying is every territory that's open, the heat and the excitement and the performance is still there. I mean, this is just Mm -hmm. a special piece of content, and it's been really amazing to see fans. As soon as they're able to, in their local territory, go out to the theater, they've responded. And that, again, you know, in the global pandemic world that we live in and all the challenges that exhibition has had globally, it's just a great thing to see that people want to get back out and go to the movies again. It just warms my heart.
0: And that's so important, and Mitchell says, right? Cinema's power to spur a global cultural conversation, to bring people together, to have people in one part of the world talk about something that someone in a completely different part of the world Can also go access and experience. And I think that's what I was trying to get to when I spoke about these sporting events. Little by little, have this visibility and feel like an event. It's no longer the closed off stadium, right? I I also think back at those Academy Awards that also felt very subdued, very quiet. We get it. They had to be like that. Sports had to be played in empty stadiums for a long time. But Now that things are opening back up a little bit, and of course, here in the United States, a very different reopening than we have in some parts of the world, like in Latin America, like some pockets in Europe, like in India, especially, everyone's going through a different scenario. But where places are recovering, seeing events take place that feel like events, that feel like you're part of a global conversation is important, and I think movie going is one of those examples. And I really think it's going to play a big psychological role to help people get out of their houses and reintegrate and little by little get that comfort level back up, going back into society from the pandemic. Uh, great insights from Mitchell Berger over at Funimation on the release of this film. And Rebecca, I think one thing I wanted to build on real quick that you Mentioned just a second ago was the role that anime might have in the coming years, right? And and this growth that we've seen it experience in the domestic box office and in other box offices around the world. Let's not forget at one point, sci-fi movies weren't really respected that much by studios. And then you have something like Star Wars come and become a huge breakout hit. And yeah, you have the scene components of it, people showing up in costume, But now I think it's that established part of the mainstream, superhero movies, the same thing. Video games, we're seeing that also make up a lot of ground. Is it fair to say that these are aspects of what was once known as geek culture really taking on a bigger role in the cinema scene?
1: A hundred percent. And not to be cynical, but it comes down to money. I think the mainstreaming of something like a superhero movie, like a Star Wars movie, comes down to the fact that the major players on the studio side can make a ton of money off of it. And I think anime just in the united states i mean that's got to be a billion dollar business there is there is money to be had and money to be made in anime and also not not to boil things down just to the finances there's great art there too and there's great entertainment there too definitely i i see there there being potential there there's the, the language barrier marks, maybe, maybe a hurdle there. The subs versus dubs debate in the anime community will never die. But uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely at Box Office Pro, it's something that I'm you know, really fascinated to to keep an eye on moving forward.
0: And closing on this topic of new benchmarks in the recovery, not only of cinemas, but of a number of different businesses, at least here in North America, we have a new wide release coming out next weekend that we're going to be looking at very closely, an established horror IP, Spiral, which is a spinoff of the Saw franchise. And we'll be having our colleague, Sean Robbins, coming back and speaking a little bit more on where the box office is next week. So don't forget to tune in next Thursday for the latest episode of the Box Office Podcast. Rebecca, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me, however this works, in thanking each other for doing this on a week-to-week basis.
1: Thanks to Record Edit Podcast, our producers. Thanks to you. Thanks to Sean and Russ, not here today, but always in our thoughts. And thanks to you all for listening. We'll see you next week.